Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, we're going to be looking ahead to the autumn statement, which will take place on Wednesday, the 22nd of November. As usual, in the weeks running up to Chancellor Jeremy Hunt stepping up to the dispatch box, there's plenty of speculation over what will be announced. To join me to discuss the rumours and speculation that's been doing the rounds is Craig Rickman, personal finance editor at Interactive Investor. So we're going to mainly focus this episode on the potential reforms to individual savings accounts, so ICEs. There's been a lot of calls over the past couple of years for ICEs to be simplified, given there's a maze of options out there. And there's also been calls by some people for an increased ISA allowance, given that the £20,000 a year limit has been frozen at that level since April 2017. Many of the rumoured changes address those two points. So to simplify ISAs, one of the ideas on the table is that stocks and shares ISAs and cash ISAs may be merged into one single ISA. Craig, could you explain what this will mean in practice and what your thoughts are on this idea of a potential super ISA? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Carl. And a pleasure to be here. So I guess the the idea behind this potential reform, plus some of the others that we're inevitably going to talk about, is to try and make it easier for people to choose the right investments within their ISA wrapper, which is something that we can all get on board with. Like you said earlier, the, the suggestions of a super ISA has been around for, for some time. The ISA landscape has become quite complicated over the years. There are now six types, stocks and shares, cash, Lifetime, innovative finance, junior, and help to buy. Help to buy ISAs aren't open for for new subscribers, but if if you've got one already, then you continue to to pay into it. So there are still six in operation. And there are fears that with the amount of ISAs available, that this could A, sort of put people off saving investing for their future, and B, for those who do, it runs the risk of, of people choosing an ISA that might not be suitable for the goals that they're trying to achieve. So Concerns have been raised by the government, the Financial Conduct Authority, the Financial Watchdog, and some others, such as think tanks, that people are perhaps in some instances using cash ISAs when they should be investing in the stocks and shares type. So that sort of prompts the reasoning behind this super ISA, which, as you said earlier, is to merge the the cash and stocks and shares versions uh, into a single product which could hopefully strip out some of the complexity and allow savers and investors the flexibility to move money freely within the wrapper. Because as things stand, you'd have to open up a separate cash and a separate stocks and shares ISA. You can move between the two, which is a you know, it's, it's a fairly straightforward exercise if that's what you want. So, for example, if you had a cash ISA with your bank and you wanted to move it to a stocks and shares with, with someone like Interactive Investor, then you can move the money across, but you actually have to take action. You can't just sort of change things within the wrapper itself. So it would make that sort of aspect of it a lot easier. And I think that just kind of more importantly, choosing the right ISA for your goal or or goals is so important. Although cash and stocks and shares have the the sort of same tax perks to them, so you you don't pay any tax on any growth or any income, um, whether that's interest or dividends, the way that they work is quite different. And so the sort of general view is that if you have short-term goals, so goals that within the next five years, so money you need for emergencies or any money that you want to spend over that period, such as to, I don't know, buy a car, go traveling, then a cash ISA should be the, the sort of right thing to do. But anything beyond that, 
stocks and shares ISA, um, although there's a there's obviously a bit more risk to it, should give you a better chance of growing your money uh, and most importantly beating inflation. So. I think the the sort of premise of it is a good idea. It's commendable. How it would work, I'm not entirely sure. There are some sort of practical obstacles to overcome, not least because not every company that issues a stocks and shares ISA issues a cash ISA as well. Uh, You know, if if the government is looking to do this, I'm sure they've got some ideas about how they kind of can be merged together. But I think overall, anything that encourages people to make better decisions with their money and invest in the right type of things is something that, that should be encouraged. I completely agree, Craig. I think, you know, if if there was this one super ISA, then that would hopefully raise greater awareness of what a stocks and shares ISA is, because at the moment, most people just opt for the cash ISA. So I think any changes to help boost awareness and hopefully boost sort of financial literacy would be welcome news. And also, you know, the requirements to open separate ISA accounts, potentially with, you know, a different provider for a cash ISA would in theory make things simpler. You know, if you've got everything in one place, then it's much easier to keep on top of everything um, and how much money you've got in the ISA. But as, as you mentioned, Craig, a stocks and shares ISA and a cash ISA, they're very different in terms of risk. And, you know, I think some people, they just want to have the cash ISA and some people like to keep a stocks and shares ISA and a cash ISA separate, such as by having, you know, a stocks and shares ISA on a platform like Interactive Investor and then having a cash ISA separately, potentially with a building society, for example. So the potential combination of the two won't please everyone. You know, for me, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, I'm saving for a pension, I've got stocks and shares ISA, some of that money is, you know, going towards my retirement. I'm in a position where my day-to-day job means that, you know, I'm very fully aware of the benefit of compounding over the next 30 years. And I know that, you know, to beat inflation over the long term, the best way to do that is to take some risk and invest rather than have the majority of your money in cash. However, some people just don't know that. So if it does improve financial education and greater awareness of what stocks and shares ISA is, then I'm all for it. But a final thought for me is that if you do just have a stocks and shares ISA, then this potential change may not make that much difference to you because if you don't have a cash ISA, then in your stocks and shares ISA, then you, you can allocate towards cash in that. So if you have you know a cash position of, say, 5%, then you can get some interest from your investment platform. But you could also use a small part of your portfolio in cash for something like a money market fund. You can invest in that. Now, of course, a money market fund is riskier than investing in a cash ISA. But in terms of investment risk, they are at the lower end of the risk scale. And some of those money market funds at the moment are yielding around 5%. You know, it can be a place to park money in cash uh, as you await better investment opportunities as and when they do emerge. I think all in all, I think it would be a good change overall to boost awareness. But, you know, as you mentioned, Craig, in terms of the practicalities of how it would be implemented, I'm not sure at this stage how it would be. Yeah. Sorry, just just to add to that, <clears throat> I think a, a further sticking point is that the minimum ages for cash and stocks and shares ISAs are, are different. So for a cash ISA, you can open one when you're 16, but for a stocks and shares ISA, it's 18. So that's something that would need to be factored in as well. Um, I'm sure there's a simple way of doing it within within one ISA to ensure that those who are 16 can't just freely move money in, into stocks and shares. I mean, unless 
there's a way of, of moving the, the lower age, or sorry, the minimum age for a stocks and shares ISA down to 16. I mean, I, I don't even know if that's possible, but that's that's another potential sticking point. So I think, yeah, as, as like you've been saying, there, there are a number of hurdles to overcome. Um, so it's, it's something we're just going to have to wait and see. Now, the next ISA change we're going to cover that's been rumoured to potentially be inside Jeremy Hunt's briefcase is an extension of the ISA allowance to just invest in UK companies. So this move to change is that the ISA allowance will go up from 20,000 to 25,000 with that extra 5,000 reserved solely to just invest in the UK, uh, including UK equity funds. This will keep it with the government's aim of encouraging investment into British businesses and will follow on from what we've already seen earlier this year in which the government you know, it's proactively encouraging, you know, a number of defined contribution pension providers to in the future years invest a small part of pensions into fast growing UK companies. So we covered those pension fund reforms a couple of months ago. It was episode 40 and that was published on the 20th of July. So do check out that episode if you'd like to learn more about those reforms. Now, there's a fund management company called Premier Mighton that have been lobbying the government for this new extra 5,000 ISA allowance to just invest in UK companies. And the point that they make is that, you know, this could unleash billions of pounds to go into UK companies if there's this extra 5,000 ISA allowance. And it did some number crunching that showed that over 8 million people have 10,000 or more investable assets that's held mostly in cash. And their argument was if, you know, if, if some of this money was put to work in this extra ISO allowance, then it'll benefit UK companies and in turn, it'll benefit the UK economy as well. Craig, I'll pass the button to you now to give your thoughts before I do. So what do you think about this potential new ISA just for UK shares? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the first thing to say is that you could argue that an increase to the ISA allowance, whatever form it takes, is overdue the allowance the maximum allowance has been fixed at, at twenty thousand pounds since 2017 so there's been six years where investors have not been able to put in more than that into their ISA within a tax year that said this twenty thousand is a lot higher than it has been in previous years if we go back 10 years the allowance was eleven thousand five hundred and twenty. so it, it is more generous than in years gone by and also there's only about 15 percent of ISA subscribers use the full allowance every year so this isn't a policy that's going to benefit everyone it's going to be a, a, a sort of a, a small portion of investors so it's a, it's a it's a commendable aim from the government and it's very much in keeping with its bid to to boost and support UK businesses but, but I also think that it, it kind of may fly in the face a little bit of the super ISA because it's now it's making things more complicated than simple which is kind of in my view where the government needs to go with ISAs so I think it's it's that aspect as well I think my view is that I, I'd like to see a, a bigger ISA allowance if I sort of had my way, it would just increase to 25,000 and, and people can invest where they want. But there, there are clearly some some benefits for, for UK businesses. I, I guess sort of another thing to consider is if for those that can use the allowance, if, if they know that 20% or £5,000 is going to have to invest in domestic stocks and they may water down UK exposure in other parts of their allowance and other, their, other parts of their portfolio to make sure that they're still getting this diversification that they need. So I think it's a it's it's an interesting idea, but I, I think it needs to be it probably needs to be fleshed out a bit more. Yeah, my thoughts are the same, Craig. You know, as you mentioned earlier, there's the six different types of ISA. I think 
everyone would welcome the ISA system to be simplified to to encourage more people to to use ISAs and to engage, uh, particularly with their investments. Of course, you know I can see why you know the full management industry would be keen for this because since the Brexit vote. Billions of pounds have exited UK equity funds. Investors have instead been increasingly venturing overseas. Um, and particularly what's been helping that demand is, you know, how strongly the big US technology giants have been performing over the you know, past couple of years. Um, last year was a little bit of an outlier. Those technology stocks didn't perform well because interest rates went up. But we've seen in 2023, those technology companies have really come back to form. There is a precedent for this because um, back in the day, um, when personal equity plans were launched in the late 1980s, which was a tax-efficient vehicle that predated the ISA, 75% had to be invested in UK or European shares. So it's been done before that, you know, it's been mandated that particular ISA had to be invested in a certain way. So that for me makes me think that potentially that this might happen one day, if not, it's going to happen in the upcoming autumn statement. But as Craig mentioned, there's only a minority of people that maximise the current 20,000 ISA allowance. You know, for most people who don't maximise the 20,000 allowance, then you're going to use that ISA allowance first and then decide whether or not to have UK equities as part of your ISA exposure. So I do think it'd be limited audience in terms of the number of people that would take advantage of this extra 5,000 ISA allowance just for UK shares. And it's also a bit of potential tax tail wagging the investment dog. If you're just investing an extra 5,000 in UK shares to just benefit from the ISA wrapper, as opposed to you know investing whatever you wanted to invest. A final thought for me on this is that, as we all know, the FTSE 100, it's very internationally focused. So if there was an extra 5,000 ISA allowance, then some of this money would be going into businesses that are mainly internationally focused. You know, generally speaking, the more domestically focused UK businesses, they're mid and small cap companies that, you know, they're outside the FTSE 100 index. So for me, it's questionable about whether that extra money is going towards UK domestic businesses rather than the likes of BP, Shell, Glencore, AstraZeneca, Unilever, which are all global businesses that make most of their money overseas rather than in the UK. So those two potential changes to ISAs that me and Craig have just discussed, which is the potential super ISA, so the combination of stocks and shares and the cash ISA all in one, and the potential new ISA to just invest in UK shares, those two are the sort of beefier areas that have been in in the sort of rumor mill over the past couple of weeks. But there's been a couple of other ISA areas that um, have been doing the rounds as well, which we'll uh, discuss a bit more briefly. So the first one, Craig, is uh, fractional shares, which currently there's a bit of um and ah about whether these count or not inside an ISA. Could you explain what's going on here? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, So fractional shares is where you buy a portion of the stock rather than the whole lot. And there has been some increased debate over this because the the stance or the stance from from HMRC is that fractional shares are not allowed within an ISA. In fact, ISA providers who are, who currently allow fractional shares have been urged to um, to get in touch with with HMRC because um, they're not sure that they're that they're within the rules. In fact, HMRC issued a comment in in early October and made its stance on the matter kind of crystal clear. 
So it said a fraction of a share is not a share and therefore cannot be held in ISA's shares as referred to in paragraph 72A of the ISA regulations refers only to whole shares and not parts or derivatives thereof. So yeah, pretty clear message. I can't see how HMRC is, is going to change that between now and the autumn statement. I guess the long-term picture is, is not as clear. However, if you hold um, fractional shares within collective investment scheme, such as funds or trusts, um, then they're not subject to the same restrictions. Uh, ETFs included in that as well. They're not subject to the same restrictions. So fractional, hairs, ca- fractional shares sorry, can be held within those. Another mooted ISA change is to the lifetime ISA. So this ISA is used by people to either save towards their first property or towards their retirement. It was launched in 2017. Sadly, it was too late for me as I just got on the property ladder. And you can save £4,000 a year and that allowance, it receives a 25% government bonus on whatever is saved. Now, there's two potential changes that some people have been calling for or campaigning for. One is there's a 25% lifetime ISA withdrawal penalty. So this penalty, it's applied if you don't use the lifetime ISA for its intended purpose. So for your first property purchase or for your retirement. So you hit with 25% in the pocket and you lose the government's top up that's being applied But the trouble with this penalty is that you lose some of the contributions that you've made. So let's say for argument's sake, you pay in £1,000, you receive a 25% government bonus, so that takes it up to 1250 But then say if if this 25% ISA withdrawal penalty is hit on that 1250 then you'll pay a penalty of £312.50. That'll then leave you with £937.50. So you're losing the difference between that and £1,000. People who do have to use this withdrawal penalty for whatever reason, they are hit in the pocket. And there's some campaigners, including Martin Lewis, who's hoping for this uh, withdrawal penalty to be changed. And the other potential change to this ISA is that you know when it was launched six years ago, there was a £450,000 cap on home purchases. So that's the limit. That has not changed over the past six years. It's not been adjusted, but you know, for the fact that house prices have risen since then. So there are hopes that that will be changed at some point, potentially in the autumn statement. I mean, even if I could use the lifetime ISA for the area that um, I've decided to live in and bring my kids up in, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to use it, unfortunately. And the other potential ISA change is to innovative finance ISAs. Could you talk us through this one, Craig? Yeah, sure. The the enigmatic innovative finance ISA. Yeah, it, it's not particularly well known and it hasn't been particularly popular either since it's been launched. Just a quick outline of, of, of how it works. So you invest in, in peer-to-peer loans. So effectively, you lend money to individuals and businesses. Um, they agree to pay you your money back at the end of the term, plus an agreed rate of interest. Similar to when you're investing in funds, you typically don't just lend money to one business or individual. You spread them around different types to protect from firms who could potentially, firms or individuals, sorry, who could potentially default. But since the product was launched in 2016-17, the take-up has been a bit muted. So for the 2021 
tax year, there are only 16,000 innovative finance ISAs taken out. When you compare this to the most popular types, cash and stocks and shares, so there were 8 million cash ISAs and 3.5 million stocks and shares ISAs. So it's a tiny, tiny part of the market. Uh, if you were to look at that in pounds and pence of the total ISA investments for that year, 72 billion, only 92 million went into innovative finance ISAs or if ISAs as they're also known. So I guess I, I, I think there's every chance the government will kibosh its existence given the low take up, um, if not at this year's autumn statement at, at some point in the future. And we will, of course, in a future episode, if there are changes to ISAs, we'll cover them again separately after the autumn statement. But before we go, Craig, could you give a very quick run through? I mean, I appreciate we could do a whole podcast episode on these two massive topics, but could you briefly summarise what else may crop up, and particularly the potential abolition of inheritance tax, and also what's the score with the triple lock? What's what's in store for that? Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't be an awesome statement without some speculation and, and a bit of drama around the state pension uh, triple lock. It's, it's fair to say that it is a, a controversial policy. So the triple lock guarantees that the state pension increases every year by the higher of inflation, wage increases, or two and a half percent. Both Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt have pledged to keep the policy for the 24-25 tax year, which is good news for, for pensioners. Interestingly, of the three metrics this time around, wage increases is the highest, despite inflation sort of running quite high throughout the past year. But wages have increased 8.5%. But that's where the, the sort of controversy starts, really. So the, the wage increases have been 8.5%. But if you were to strip out bonus payments, one-off bonus payments to NHS staff and other civil servants, then that would drop the figure down to 7.8%. So according to reports, the government is weighing up whether to use the lower figure. We don't know any more at this point. Obviously, all will be revealed on autumn statement day. And that's the the big thing to look out for. I guess on the plus side, if we were to, to try and find one, it does mean that the state pension is going to increase higher than inflation or current levels of inflation for next year. So that good that's good news. It just depends now on how much that increase is going to be. So that's the triple lock. So yeah, IHT, inheritance tax, another, another big topic. So the big talking point around that have been the rumours that it might be abolished. I think that would be surprising if that were to happen, but there's certainly some room for reform uh, and we could certainly get some of that. I mean, there've been calls to reform inheritance tax for, oh, I don't know, probably the best part of about two decades. It's fiendishly complicated in in parts. Not a lot of people understand sort of exactly how it works in terms of the tax-free allowances. And so uh, government receipts for the tax have been increasing quite sharply over the past few years. And so I think that some reform in there will be most welcome. The, the two things that, that sort of mainly being talked about are reduce a reduction, sorry, from the top rate of tax, which would be from 40% to 25, which again, for anyone who is sort of uh, at risk of inheritance tax or might have an inheritance tax problem, that would be good news. Another potential reform is to try and make the bands a bit simpler. You have a, everyone has 325,000 that, that you can own before you start paying inheritance tax. But if you own your own your own home and you pass that down to your children, you can get another 175,000. But the way that that tax, sorry, the way that that um, tax threshold works can be quite complicated. So I think some reform in that area would be welcoming. One simple way to do it would be to scrap the residence nil rate band, which is the band you get for, for owning your home, and then just add that allowance onto the 325,000 that you get. I mean, I think that would be fairer and it would make things a lot simpler for people when planning their estates. 
Well, there's no shortage of things to look out for in terms of personal finances. And one thing that other interactive investors are keen to see happen is the removal of stamp duty on trading UK shares. In our view, this is just another unnecessary barrier to investing in UK shares. So we would like to see that reformed. My thanks to Craig and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like to talk about via email, which is otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. And I'll see you next week.